Well, today is uh, September 11th. Um, so it's September 11th. We all know what September 11th is. Uh, we all know where, if you were alive 20 years ago, uh, you know where you were, right? I remember, uh, I, I could say a lot of different things, but all I'm going to say is I, I remember uh, calling my father, uh, you know, and my father who uh, was inducted into the army in the beginning of 1941 and was five years in and overseas almost the entire World War II, uh, he, he said to me, this is it's in Pearl Harbor, like beyond, like more than Pearl Harbor. You know, I couldn't get over it. And of course, living in that part of the country, clearly. Uh, and uh, whether we uh, were in Columbus or Nebraska or Arizona or Wherever we might be, I think we all had this uh, shared, unique, horrific experience. Uh, and one, uh, indeed, that uh, we must uh, remember uh, and uh, never forget, right? I know Cliff, I don't know, wearing a, um, a New York uh, or his own uh, New Jersey uh, um, volunteer fireman uh, uniform, firefighter uniform, remembering, honoring those and it's important that we uh, remember not only, you know, I'll say it like this, not only the first responders, but the people who didn't sign up for anything uh, other than uh, going to work, you know, other than just showing up at work. And uh, it is uh, just, um, you know, every every year you have sort of have to process it over all over, you know. And uh, it wasn't in a far off place, but a place that many of us are very familiar. Uh, some of us uh, may know, even have known uh, people. Uh, and so it, it, uh, it, it's important for a couple of reasons uh, that, uh, as I shared, I think, last week, that uh, 20 years ago on uh, September 11, 2001, it was just before Rosh Hashanah. It was on a September 11th was on a Tuesday, and I think it was just like later in the week. Rosh Hashanah, clearly, blowing the shofar, what? Clearly, this is what was on everyone's minds. Maybe some of you were at Beth Messiah uh, at, at that time. So I looked back uh, to see what uh, what I talked about uh, uh, on Rosh Hashanah. I kind of remembered, um, but uh, but I thought I would look anyway. I, and uh, and probably I wasn't the only one. Well, you'd have to be a messianic person to think of this, I guess, but. But, you know, in uh, Luke chapter 13, this is what I talked about. And it's not the, uh, um, it's sort of the introduction to our, our, our remarks for today. But in Luke uh, uh, chapter 13, at the beginning of the chapter, it says, Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans? because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So why did I read that? I read that because it's easy to ask forever the question of why, right? Why did this happen? Why did it happen on that day? Why did it happen exactly at that moment when everyone was exactly where they were? The answer is no one knows, okay? 
No one knows. But the one question that we can answer, could answer then and continue to answer, is how do I respond to this? How do I respond to something so horrific, you know? I, uh, and, 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 of course, that's part of processing. That's part of, uh, like, embracing the horror, not ignoring it, not uh, uh, pretending it never happened or something like that. Or, and this goes for lots of things, you know, that happen in life. When our friend Chow Tran uh, suddenly and tragically was murdered, we've experienced a lot of things about this side. I, I remember that our friend Bill Bose read these same words to, you know, to us that day. I, I had asked him, I said, I, can't, I, I need you to speak. <laughs> I need you to say something. Uh, and, uh, uh, and he did. And that's you know, what he said. How do we respond? Why doesn't get answered at least this side of, this side of heaven, as we say? But how do I respond? I remember saying uh, at that time, that, you know, sometimes the, when we blow the shofar, the shofar has a variety of meanings. It means a call to worship, it means, uh, 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 to wake us up, uh, uh, right? And, and things of that nature. I, but clearly, when we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, it's supposed to like jolt us. It's supposed to be like you're in a deep sleep when that alarm clock is right next to your ear and it goes off and you're like uh, hanging on to the uh, chandelier or the ceiling or something. You, you know what I mean? Uh, or, uh, or like the story I told that's, that's in uh, that uh, uh, little book, uh, This is Real and You're Completely Unprepared for It, right? Uh, the story of his wife having a, a baby and he had it all figured out and then it's like, completely undone. It's completely undone. Uh, and so uh, oftentimes when tragedy happens, we become completely undone. It's like it just, it just stops us in our tracks. And so... On September 11th, 2001, as a nation, we were completely undone. I mean, uh, it, was, uh, it was a surreal, almost a surreal experience of, uh, you know, of, of a national grieving and unity, uh, albeit for a short period of time. But we all remember it. <laughs> I think we all rem- remember that, you know. And, um, and, and so, therefore... One, uh, we definitely want to uh, remember all who perished on that day, but we still need to respond to it, you know? We still need to respond to it. And I think probably for anybody that was alive at the time and an adult at the time, uh, we will always respond to it in our, in our lifetimes. And so, uh, isn't it amazing? Today is Shabbat Shuvah, and it's today, you know? And, and I think that, again, uh, it needs to, so to speak, when we think of 9-11, it needs to bring us to our knees and realize uh, that uh, we don't trust in chariots and we don't trust in horses, but we trust in the Lord our God. Uh, and, uh, and it's uh, quite clear, uh, you know, it was made quite uh, abundantly clear to us then and it is abundantly clear uh, to us now. Uh, and... Uh, uh, May the remembrance of 9-11 always make us think about our own destiny and remember that life is fleeting and that you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You know, uh, on, um, on Monday, September 10th, 2001, it was a Monday, and just like we do now on Mondays, 
uh, we had MSI. And some of you may remember Terry Zeller, right? Uh, before Henry uh, Goulet was uh, directing MSI, Terry Zeller was. And uh, so on Monday nights uh, at you know 10 o'clock, he and I would go out and get something to eat. And uh, so we uh, went up to uh, Damon's Restaurant uh, up there on uh, Polaris and Route 3. It's not there anymore, I don't believe. And we were talking and doing what we always do, sort of commiserating about the state of affairs in the world, things of that nature. And then when we were all done, we walked out to our cars, and the last thing I said to him when we got in our cars was, you know, we could wake up tomorrow, and who knows what we'll do. Isn't that amazing? I'll never forget that. Uh, and, uh, and so life is fleeting. Not only our personal life, like national life <laughs> is, is fleeting. Uh, all of it, all of what we uh, consider like normal living is all very tenuous, you, you know? I, and, uh, and so it's so important that we do take account of our souls. Cheshbon hanefesh. You know, take an account of our inner, of our inward, our inner life and be sure that we're right with God. And that there's an inner core of strength within us so that no matter what comes our way, we don't get derailed by it, but we keep going. We keep moving forward in the Lord and deal with whatever comes our way. And certainly, you know, uh, this morning, like many of you probably, I made sure that uh, at 846 I was watching, uh, you know, the unfolding of uh, the Remembrance in New York City ringing that bell and, you know, and hearing the beginning of all the names and, and everything, it, it kind of puts into perspective a lot of things of what's important and what's not important. What I can, you know, just puts a lot of things in perspective for us. And so it really is uh, on Shabbat Shuvah, that's all that this day is supposed to do, all those things. Uh, and so I thought this morning uh, we, would take a, uh, we would take a quick look uh, at um, the a por- uh, part of the Haftorah portion for uh, uh, today, and that is Hosea chapter 14. Now, when the Torah was open, and I was talking about the uh, Torah portion, we'll discuss it more in our uh, Torah study this afternoon, but it really is amazing when you think about it, and again, we'll talk about this next week because chapter 31 was an introduction to chapter 32. And uh, God, uh, 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 and, and also we also read about it in chapter 29. So 29 all the way to 32 is a reminder at the end of Moses' life that the people are going to be rebellious. Just like they've been rebellious in the wilderness, they're going to be rebellious in the land. And the day is going to come when they're going to be exiled. But what is amazing when you really think about that is hundreds of years went by, hundreds of years before that exile. And the people... Uh, I will suggest that many of those people were as removed from the days of Moses as we are removed from the days of Moses. You know, I, I, there it was their ancestors uh, who were the, not their fathers and grandfather ancestors. You know, who were in the wilderness. Yet they were accountable. They were accountable because they are part of Israel. This is the premise, by the way, of uh, Jonathan Sachs' book, A Letter in the Scroll. I've shared that. Uh, you know, he's writing to young people, says, why be Jewish? <laughs> you know, I didn't sign up for this, you know. Uh, but 
uh, there is an accountability. And as Messiah followers, it's not exactly the same. Of course, if you're a, a Jewish believer, there is like a double-barreled accountability. Uh, being uh, uh, ethnically part of the people of Israel, and then embracing the Messiah, it's like times 10 accountability, you know? Uh, and uh, But for all of us, we are accountable all of our lives, right? So that I think that's the Torah portion, that, the import, that's what I get a lot out of that Torah portion, is, wow, I got to just remember that I remain accountable for my thoughts, my actions, my words, and what I write. I, and, uh, and hopefully, you know, that helps us to align things right. So here in uh, Hosea, Hosea is often uh, understood kind of like, a, in a way, a, a, a painful love letter, you know? It's sort of like the anti-Song uh, of Solomon, <laughs> in the sense that the Song of Solomon is this love letter of a, uh, you know, of a man and a woman and, and embracing and loving one another. So uh, what you have in uh, the prophet Hosea is God is the husband, Israel is the wife, but Israel is like totally unfaithful and God is lamenting the unfaithfulness of his lover and, and, she, and opening up his heart of the pain and the anguish that he's enduring because uh, of Israel's rebellion and disobedience. And, uh, and it, you know, it's quite clear uh, in a lot of places. And then, of course, he calls calls him to return. And, and, and then, of course, there's a, there's a promise of return that God will, you know, uh, there's a plea and a promise of what God will do when the people return. You know, in chapter 11 of um, Hosea, here, to me, th- this uh, chapter kind of sums up the heart of God, the heart of God, period. Toward Israel, toward us, when he looks at society, when he just looks at culture, he looks at the world. When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim how to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed. I led them with cords of a man with bonds of love. I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. They will not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria, he will be their king. Now this is a lament. This is God saying, Uh, You're forcing my hand in discipline because they refused to return to me. And the sword will whirl against their cities and will demolish their uh, gate bars and consume them because of their counsels. So my people are bent on turning from me. Though they call them to be the one on high, none of them exalts it. So what you have, the reason you have him and I and all that is is that the prophet is speaking about God, but then he's speaking words of God. So you have to understand that's how he says it. But now look at verse 8. Okay, so he says here, I'm the one, I found you, I took care of you. Very similar to what we read in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32, as we'll see next week. Uh, But uh, here, 
He says, I, you know, I did all this, but you keep turning from me. I'm not giving up on you, but I must discipline. But then in verse 8, we see the angst that God has. This is not some kind of uh, holy, uh, macho words from God. This is what I'm going to do. It is painful. It is painful. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? You know what it reminds me of? You remember in Psalm 42, we talked about in Rosh Hashanah, that uh, the psalmist says to himself, Oh, my soul, why are you in distress? Why are you weeping? It's almost like the God is having that kind of moment where he's like talking to himself. It's really quite dramatic and quite emotional. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? These are uh, cities uh, outside of Israel. My heart is turned over within me. It's a very interesting phrase. My heart is turned over within me. Uh, uh, it, it basically means something to the effect of, in my kishkas, it's killing me. You know, in my guts, it's like uh, uh, giving me like uh, the worst pain to be to, to to do this. In the pit of my stomach, uh, I hate this. That is. That is what God is saying when he says, my heart is turned over within me. All of my compassions are kindled. In other words, I can't do it. I can't destroy you. You have sinned so much. This is what I need to do. But I can't, I can't do it. I can only do so much. I can only discipline you so much because my, of my heart for you. That is how much God loves Israel. It's how much God loves us. Then he says, I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. In other words, he's saying, you know, as a human being, I, I would uh, seek you out, and for what you've done to me, I would get you back. But I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to. They will walk after the Lord. Now he says, you know, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, actually cause this to take place. Uh, they will walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. Indeed, he will roar and his sons will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will settle them in their houses, uh, declares the Lord. So he's saying the day will come when, when, just like we read in Deuteronomy chapter 30, after exile, you will turn to me and return. God is saying, that's going to happen. But then notice what it says in the very next verse. Ephraim surrounds me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. Judah is also unruly against God, even against the Holy One who is faithful. And so you see this back and forth in Hosea. This back and forth. I love them. I must discipline them, but I don't want But I love them. And, and what you are reading is the broken heart of God over the sins of of his and not when I say sins, I should just over the unfaithfulness of his people. Sins is like a theological word that doesn't always evoke too much emotion, you know. But the unfaithfulness of his people—it's like I, I gave you everything and I trusted you, and now here you go after other lovers. That is what God is saying. The prophet is conveying this kind of sadness and brokenness to the people that this is how you are affecting God. And of course, we know in Hosea's own life, uh, God demonstrated it in that his wife goes after other lovers. And then God says, 
you're going to go and you're going to get her and you're going to buy her and she's going to live with you, but you're not going to have relations with her because, in other words, she's going to be protected, but things won't be normal. And that is exactly the state of affairs, you know, uh, until Israel calls upon the name of the Lord. Uh, and so when you come to chapter 14, the end of the book, after it's in a way, it's sort of like after all has been said and done, here is like the altar call, <laughs> you know, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have sinned because of your iniquity. So, you know, of course, we know the word there is shuv, right? Uh, and, and we uh, we uh, like to use the word repent, turn from your sins. But the word return is a very personal kind of word. Return, come home, come home. And we could say in our, you know, we like to talk about a transformation, spiritual transformation, kind of like be home, come home and be changed. Come home and be uh, and be a different person. Come home and be uh, transformed. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. You could say it's never too late. One of the things that he's saying here is that Indeed, it is never too late, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. So because of your sins, you have fallen. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and so then it says here, take words with you and return to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Take words with you and return to. When we take words from us, it's coming from our heart. It's coming from within us. Uh, not some legalistic, they say this prayer uh, or do that sacrifice, right? But come back wholeheartedly. Come back from your heart. Come back in reality. Take words with you and return to me. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Uh, and you know, uh, the next line uh, where it says receive us graciously is probably not the best translation because it actually doesn't say receive us graciously. It actually says, take good. Take what is good. That's literally what it, it says. Take what is good and take what is good. Okay? Uh, and, uh, and so I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, take away all iniquity and take from me all that is good. In other words, in returning with words, we also return with a way of beginning to live with a, with a heartfelt desire to, to be different. Take what is, take, take the good, take what is good. Take away my iniquity, take what is good, that we may present the fruit of our lips, that we may present to you the fruit of our lips. I, uh, and so he's saying, uh, uh, you know, return to God. It is never too late. Return with words, return with words, uh, take us back to you uh, and so that we may present uh, the fruit of our praise uh, unto you, that we may declare uh, your glory and that we may uh, and that we may live in such a way, indeed, uh, that demonstrates that return. OK, so that's the beginning. OK, but then there is this other thing that we're supposed to acknowledge when we return. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, our God to the work of our hands. For in you, the orphan finds mercy. 
So uh, evidently, uh, you know, political entanglements, uh, being strong, you know, uh, isn't going to do it for us. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses. And then, nor will we say again, our God to the work of our hands. And so, so on Shabbat Shuvah, it is a call for us, yes, to return to God with our words, to repent, to, to confess. And we know that in Messiah Yeshua, we're forgiven and cleansed when we confess our uh, uh, sins. Uh, and, uh, but also uh, an examination of really, where am I placing my trust and my hope? Where are my passions? What is it that's so important uh, 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 to me? And that's what verse 3 is about. It is Israel uh, uh, saying, you know, we only trust in you, O God, and demonstrated by the way that we conduct ourselves and live uh, in both word, so in both word and deed. And then at the end when it says, for in you the orphan finds mercy. We have nothing and we come to you for mercy, a God. Um, and then God says now in verse 4, and when you come to me in the, with, with that kind of heartfelt emotion, when you come to me just with your words, when you come to me I, I, you know, from your heart and you declare and demonstrate from your heart that you're not trusting in governments, foreign or domestic uh, or military, or any of that. I'm not trusting in it. Certainly we have those things. But, but our faith and our trust is indeed in God, right? Uh, that uh, is what God desires. Then God says, when you come to me that way, I will heal. I will heal their apostasy. I will heal your waywardness. That's actually, in Hebrew, that's kind of what it means, like going the other direction. You're like backsliding, as we like to, you know, say, right? I will heal. But it isn't just saying, it doesn't just say, I will turn you around, but I will heal you. The wound will be healed. Whatever is caused, the things that are causing you to go the other way, I will heal you. But you must return to me. I will heal you. Stop going everywhere else. Stop looking for love in all the wrong places, Right? I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, you know, uh, open-endedly, for my anger has turned away from them. Then I will be like refreshment. I will be like the dew in Israel. He will blossom like the lily. He will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His shoots will sprout and his beauty will be like the olive tree and his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. Those who live in his shadow will again raise grain. They will blossom like the vine. And his renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. These are the great things that are cultivated in the land. That are cultivated in the land. This is transformation. He's describing like new life. And, and not just a new way of life, but new life itself. Uh, but it's something that's cultivated. You know, and so in our own lives, when we come to Shabbat Shuvah and we pray this way, God begins a new work in us. But we need to continue that return. Continue to come to God with our lips. Continue 
to uh, uh, walk in a manner worthy of the calling as we read in Ephesians chapter 4. And we will see that over time, we will be this new growth. I was saying to Peter, when we come to the Torah study, you better be ready for all that agricultural stuff. Uh, Good. Because, you know, this is what I know. In fact, I know so little about so much. It's amazing. Okay? Uh, In fact, I was talking to Paul. Uh, We met for breakfast recently. He was talking about plants that are like decades old. I said, I didn't know plants lived to be decades old. I thought it's like flowers. Like, you know what I mean? What do I know? I don't don't know. Right? Uh, And uh, and so, uh, you know, when you water a plant, you don't just, okay, come on, you know, blossom, right? It takes time. And, uh, you know, and you'd have to have a little camera, if you, you know, and then uh, do that fast speed thing over a long period of time. And then you see it. Well, it's like our lives. It, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight, right? There's good days. There's bad days. There's some days we're parched. Some days we get lots of rain uh, or lots of watering. Uh, there's that pruning, ouch, you know, and, and, and all of that. But all of it, it takes time to cultivate. You know, and uh, and so that's why we continue. That's why we call it a journey, and that's why we continue walking together. Uh, and um, uh, and that's you know what he's saying here. Uh, and then at the end he says, "Oh, Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols?" It's like again lamenting, right? Uh, it is I who answer and look after you. I am like a luxuriant cypress. Isn't it interesting? Now we read, uh, God says, I am like a luxuriant cypress. From me comes your fruit. We had more time, uh, and I would suggest, read John chapter 15, right? I am the vine, you are the branches, right? When we're connected to the vine, we grow. When we're disconnected, we don't, right? Uh, he abides in us, we abide in him. And the, and the status of that is what we're doing when we're taking account of our souls, How's that going? Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them, but transgressors will stumble. In other words, like light and darkness. And so may we be wise, and may we, on Shabbat Shuvah, take account of of, of where we're at in the vine. Are we flourishing? Are we returning? Are we letting things get in the way? Remember that today we're remembering 9-11 when, the, when we were totally shaken and we stopped. We just stopped. That's what God calls us to do. On Rosh Hashanah, we talked all about being shaken. We need to stop. We need to, take a, we need to spend time thinking, which direction am, am I walking? Am I in the process of being healed? Am I... Uh, you know, uh, uh, this uh, is there a fragrant aroma. And, and uh, remember that the, when we confess our sins and we return to the Lord, uh, the main thing that we're asking for, of course, is forgiveness. And, and we know from everything we've said and from many Bible verses that we are called to forgive others, that, that, there is, that we are seeking it from God and God desires it. Uh, from us horizontally. And that's a big part of the cheshbon hanefesh, taking account of our souls. So may we be cleansed. 
may we really be in the process of transformation uh, uh, as we uh, continue during this week and look forward to uh, Yom Kippur, um, really the day of reconciliation. Uh, and uh, may uh, 5782 indeed uh, be uh, a turning of a page, be a new year, a year of growth, uh, a year of refreshment, uh, a year of drawing closer to God, and a year, most important, of God demonstrating his reality to this world. Remember the parable of the prodigal son, right? The son goes off wallowing in the mud. The father is just waiting, waiting, come back, come back, come back, right? And after all is said and done, the father just rejoices that the child has returned. He doesn't tell him, what a heartache you've given me, right? No, he just rejoices and calls for a big you know, remember that that whole chapter, Luke 15, right? What's it about? About a lost coin, uh, a lost sheep, and a lost child. And the love of God of going after each other. That is how much God loves us. So may we return. Let's pray. Lord, uh, uh, God, we confess, Lord, our sins to you. And Lord, it grieves us to know that you have grieved over us. I pray, Lord, that we would stop grieving you that we would stop grieving the Ruach and not be concerned so much about our own, our own selves, but concerned about you. I speak that on behalf of myself God, and, and all of us as a community. God, may we be about you, Lord, and may we live in thankfulness of all that you provided for us. And may in this life, may we always be on a journey. May we always come up and know that we are welcome in Christ.